Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. together. We've been in the book of Mark all year. We are in Mark chapter 14. We kind of jumped ahead during the Easter time and took a look toward the end of Mark, but now we're finishing up a couple of chapters and then we'll be done with Mark. If you've got a desire for me to preach in a particular area, the sky is the limit, of course, and lots of opportunities. If something's been, uh, you know, maybe speaking to your heart or you'd like us to maybe talk about a topic or a Bible book, you can certainly pass that on to me and we'll pray about that and see where the Lord might lead us. And for those of you that like to take notes, you will notice that I left that opportunity for you this week. The last couple of weeks, I've given you all the answers beforehand. And uh, of course, that's not good. So you get to take notes if you so choose. On the back of your bulletin there is an opportunity for you to do that. We're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. And this is what it says, Thursday night, the Galilean Jews, which Jesus is a part, as well as the Twelve, celebrate Passover. Last week we talked about two different Passovers, and there's a piece of paper over there to explain why they are two Passovers. We know Passover really to be on that Friday night, but the Galilean Jews, which Jesus was a part of because they were from Galilee, uh, celebrate Passover on Thursday night, and that piece of paper kind of explains that. On Friday, the Judean Jews celebrate Passover. The Passover is a remembrance of the exodus of the Jews from Egypt, and that is uh, written about in Exodus chapter 12. The things done on Passover are all symbolic of that event. For the previous 1,500 years, the Jews have celebrated Passover this way. When Jesus shared Passover with his disciples, he changed it to the Lord's Supper, or what you might call the Lord's Table, or sometimes we call it Communion. The events of the last Passover night are recorded as follows, and we're going to take a look at those in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 17 to 26. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 17 through 26. Remember, Jesus sent a couple of disciples ahead of the others to find that place. And verse 16 says, The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Verse 17, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. 
I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. That is the reading of God's word. And the first point that I want to talk about is the betrayer is revealed. The betrayer is revealed. To begin the Passover meal, Jesus clears the air about the betrayer. Now, I do think this interesting. I was doing some research this past week. Now, because the Bible teaches free will and the sovereignty of God, the betrayal is not a done deal for Judas. Judas does not have to be the betrayer. I read this past week, and here's a quote from a commentary. Divine sovereignty and human freedom are held in tension at this moment. God's foreknowledge, which sees Judas as the betrayer, does not foreordain his act. To the very last moment, Jesus works for the redemption of Judas because he does have a choice. But God, in his foreknowledge, knew he would not change his mind. And his betrayal confirms what was written in Psalm 41, verse 9, if you want to look there. Or you can, uh, let me just read it, Psalm 41 and verse 9. It says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Those passages in Psalm and other uh, uh, parts in the Old Testament are prophecies of uh, what would be happening during this time. And so that was a long ago prophecy that a good friend, one of the twelve, and that's, that's what's kind of hard to understand or believe, one of the twelve, the guys that, you know, was with Jesus the whole time, would be the one that would betray him. The other disciples don't have a clue as to who the betrayer is. But Jesus shares that it's one of the twelve. If you look over in the parallel passage in John chapter 13, gives a little bit more of what was happening here. John chapter 13, verse 26. It says, Jesus answered, It is one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. And Jesus says to him, what you are about to do, do quickly. Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. The betrayal with Judas was a choice that he made. And Jesus shares with the disciples that it was him, and they were a little unsure what exactly was going on. But we do know that Judas suffered the consequences of his betrayal. And we are told in the book of Acts, he goes out and he hangs himself. You know, we studied a few, well, maybe a year or so ago now, the book of Hebrews. And there was an interesting passage in Hebrews that I want to bring to your attention. Hebrews 10, verse 29, says this, 
How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? I think the Bible is pretty clear that the severest penalty of hell is for those who knew the most about Jesus but rejected him. And I can't help but think about us, especially in Hebrews chapter 5 where it talks about, and of course this is not necessarily in line with what I read here in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, but the idea of some of us are still drinking milk as opposed to meat eaters. You know, the Bible talks about people that are drinking milk and meat eaters. It's back in Hebrews chapter 5, and it's uh, verses 11 through 14. This is what it says. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Even this infant right here knows that. She's saying amen to that. All right? But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So I'm not saying that you are a Judas, but I am saying that sometimes we as believers still... Uh, are milk drinkers when we ought to be, especially as long as we've been involved in Christianity, more of meat eaters. So you can think about that as you uh, uh, think about our message today. Am I more of a milk drinker or am I more of a meat eater when it comes to spiritual things? So Jesus starts off the whole Last Supper with the betrayer being revealed And then we're going to spend some time on point number two, out with the old, and then we're going to look at in with the new. Out with the old, and the word you can put there is the cedar, the cedar. The word cedar means order. In Numbers chapter 9, we won't look at this, but this would be good homework for you if you so choose. Numbers chapter 9 and Exodus chapter 12 kind of give instruction as to what is to happen during the Passover. When Passover is celebrated, there is an order of events. That's why it's called the cedar meal. There is an order of events that take place during the meal. And as we shared, Passover is a time to remember the Jews' deliverance from the 400 years of slavery in Egypt. You'll remember the story. God instructed the Jews to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorframe of the house so that the angel of death would pass over. Some of you are thinking, oh, now I get it. Yeah, pass over. The angel of death would pass over the Jewish home. No blood meant death to the firstborn. And that was the last straw, and Pharaoh released the Jews from captivity. Passover then that the Jews celebrate, remembers that event. Passover remembers that event. And they remember that event by sharing a meal together and a lot of other things, but the 
big thing is sharing a meal together. And they have been doing that like I've shared for 1,500 years. And what Jesus does in the upper room with his disciples is what you might call a transition. It's a transition from Passover to communion. Jesus took some of the Passover elements. There was bread in the Passover. There was wine in the Passover meal. Jesus took some of the Passover elements and redefined them as elements of the Lord's Supper. And we don't have time to look at it, but again, I made a handout over there. All of the food eaten and all of the wine drunk and all of the prayers recited and all of the songs sung during the cedar, the order of events, all point to an ultimate Savior and come to fruition in Jesus. So there's a paper over there you can take a peek at. All of the different things that they do in the Passover meal really point to a Savior, and that Savior, of course, is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so the meal took some time, and uh, there was no big rush. There's no big rush in a, in a Passover meal. Jesus took some time with the disciples, and what is not recorded in the book of Mark is recorded in John chapter 13 through 17. That is the teaching that, John, uh, that Jesus shared with his disciples during the Passover meal. So if you want to take a look at John chapter 13, you're going to see the things that Mark does not include, but that Jesus talks about during the Passover meal with his disciples. And the reason he spends some time with them is because he still has some important things to teach them before he goes to the cross. So John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 are all the things that Jesus does with the disciples during the Passover meal. And one thing you will remember, John chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. That's an important lesson on humility that the disciples need to know about. Jesus also, if you're looking through there, I'm just reading the bold print there. Uh, Jesus predicts his betrayal. Jesus predicts Peter's denial. We'll talk about that next week. Jesus comforts his disciples. Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus does the teaching on the vine and the branches how the branches need to be connected to the vine and how Jesus is the vine and the disciples are the branches and how that even goes on down to us. How the world will hate the disciples and if they hated Jesus, they will also hate us as well. The work of the Holy Spirit. This is important during the Passover meal. Jesus needs to share with them, hey, I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to send somebody else. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who will be with you for all time. And the disciples' grief will turn to joy. And then chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself, Jesus prays for his disciples, and Jesus prays for all believers. That's what we really call the Lord's Prayer there. The other one in Matthew chapter 6 is probably more the disciples' prayer. But this is the Lord's Prayer. And then if you look at verse uh, chapter 18, it says Jesus arrested. So all of that is happening during the Passover. Jesus needs to spend some time...
teaching his disciples still some very, 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 very important lessons. And then in verse 25, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Jesus says he won't partake of the bread and the wine until he shares it in the kingdom of God. And we talked about the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 13. The kingdom of God occurs after the second coming. That's when we will all share together, not as a tribute to the Passover, but as a memorial or a celebration or a tribute, if you will, to the cross where the true perfect lamb, Jesus, was sacrificed. So Jesus talks about the betrayer. Jesus talks about uh, out with the old and now in verse, uh, or point number three, Jesus talks about in with the new. And you can put there the Lord's Supper or communion or the Lord's table. And these verses that we'll share here are very familiar to you because they describe what we do the first Sunday of every month and which we will do next week. We will share communion together. And so verse 22 says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So Jesus took bread, and he broke it at my last church we had a, a, a roll, a large roll, and actually for communion, I broke it. And then, some of you are just going to freak out about this, but we passed those rolls on a plate, and everybody touched it and pulled a piece out. The germs! But that's the way we did it at our last church. And uh, I'll tell you, though, we did not drink from a common cup at our last church. But we did share the bread that way. And uh, there is significance to the breaking. But it's not... So we often say, uh, uh, take this bread that was broken for you. Okay? We, we often say that because the Bible says that Jesus took it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Now, the reason he broke it was just for distribution purposes. All right, a lot of times pe people say, well, Jesus' body wasn't broken on the cross. None of his bones were broken, and that is exactly right. That is in line with prophecy. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46 says that none of his bones would be broken, and that's a, an important prophecy that was fulfilled because normally they would break the legs of the people on the cross so that they would die faster. And in fact, the two thieves on both sides of Jesus... Uh, their legs were broken so that they would die faster, but by the time they got to Jesus, they realized that he had already died. So he did not, they did not have to break his legs. But the idea of breaking this bread together was for distribution. It doesn't really have anything to do with his body, let's say, being broken because none of his bones were broken. I guess you could say his skin was broken because there was a lot of gashes and blood along with that, but his bones were definitely not broken. So Jesus took this bread as probably part of the Passover, and he broke it, and then he distributed it to them, and he said, take it, this is my body. Jesus told them to eat the bread to remember 
what he did on the cross. And that's what it talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24. So it says, and when, and this is Paul giving instruction to the church in Corinth how they're supposed to share communion together. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So our Catholic friends, they believe that the bread becomes the actual flesh of Jesus when they share communion. Our Lutheran friends believe that it becomes the spiritual flesh of Jesus when they share communion. But we as Baptists look at the bread as a symbol to remember Jesus gave his body to die on a cross for us and for our sin. So Jesus... Oh yeah, there we go. There we go. So Jesus becomes then the perfect Passover lamb... And I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 again, because, uh, again, the author of Hebrews kind of gives us a feel for what happened when Jesus became, became the first Passover lamb. Hebrews chapter 10. I've got a few verses to read here, so hopefully you'll follow along. The author says the law, this is verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. In the Old Testament, the people were to bring a sacrifice. And the author here says, that sacrifice that's, that is, is given year after year, day after day, cannot make you perfect. If it could, would they have not stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bull and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not well pleased, then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. The Lord was not pleased. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. He sets aside, Jesus sets aside the first order of events in the Old Testament sacrificially to establish the second, and he's the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus once for all. Day after day every priest stands. When priests would sacrifice, there was no place for them to sit down. And we talked about this when we were studying the book of Hebrews. So day after day, the priests stand. When Jesus was ascended to heaven, what did he do? Because the sacrifice system was finished through him, he sat down. Remember, he sat down when he got to heaven. 
Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again, offering the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So that's just a, a, a view of what the sacrificial system was all about in the Old Testament, but now what Jesus is all about in the New Testament. So Jesus told them to eat the bread and drink the cup in remembrance of him. And verse 23, it says basically the same thing. Then he took the cup after he took the bread, gave thanks and offered it to them, and they drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Poured out for many. John 1.12, a good Bible verse. It's on the inside of your bulletin about how to receive Jesus as Savior. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who call on his name. This uh, offering the blood of Jesus was poured out for many. And then John 1.12, but as many as received him. Blood is mandatory in God's economy for forgiveness to be made. And Jesus bled and died as the perfect lamb of God. And then, to conclude, verse 26, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, singing is a part of the Passover cedar, uh, Passover celebration, and the hymns that they sing are actually found in Scripture. The songs of Passover are called the Hallel, and the word Hallel means praise, and they sing from Psalm 113, from Psalm 114, from Psalm 115, from Psalm 16, 117, and 118. And they also, and probably conclude the Passover meal by singing from Psalm 136. And if you take your Bible and turn to Psalm 136, it's a long psalm, but this is probably what they sing, ending the Passover meal. And one thing in this psalm, is repeated 26 times. Some of you say, I don't like praise music because they sing the same thing over and over and over again. Well, here you go. This psalm says the same thing over and over and over and over again. And it's because it's important. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And then everybody look and it says, His love endures forever. And so for 26 times after each phrase, it says, His love endures forever. In light of the cross, the phrase repeated 26 times comes alive. His love endures forever and is repeated for eternity. And that's how they end the cedar Passover meal, and possibly when Jesus left the upper room and headed to the garden with his disciples on that first communion evening, they quite possibly sang that song from Psalm 136 and how we are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Another homework assignment, you might want to read through that psalm and uh, just, give a, uh, just give a peek to it and uh, see how you can say that his love endures forever in your own life. At the very bottom of your bulletin, it says this, Jesus is a fulfillment 
of the... Well, actually, I want to change that. All right, I noticed this. It says Jesus is a fulfillment. I don't like that word, a. We're going to change it to the. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover symbols and infused the whole feast with a new meaning. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Passover symbols and infuse the whole feast with a new meaning. And then do we have that last picture? If we don't, that's okay. There you go. Next week we'll share communion together and we'll break bread and we'll uh, take the grape juice. And it's all because Jesus loves us. That's what communion is all about. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's full and wonderful. And it teaches us so much. So much that we can apply to our daily lives. The biggest being that Jesus gave his all, his body and his blood, so that we might have forgiveness of sin, abundant and eternal life. But in response to that, since Jesus gave his all, we can certainly be challenged to give all that we can too back to him. And that could include our finances. That can include, of course, our time, our talents, our heart our hands, our feet, all of who we are, Lord, we want to give back to you because you, while we were yet sinners, died for us. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture, biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.